Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing that it is to have this day to gather together and to lift up your name. Thank you for this place of refuge and security, this place where we can safely and with joy-filled hearts worship you, this place where we can bring our burdens and our sorrows and our shame, where we can be forgiven and where we can be washed clean by your love and by your grace and mercy. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak this morning to us, that you would reveal yourself to us through your word proclaimed, and that, Lord God, you would penetrate deep down into our hearts and our souls. Lord, that no place within us would remain unenlightened by your grace and by your love and mercy. Help us, Lord God, to lay down our burdens before you and to receive your hope and your joy in exchange. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all. I'm so glad you're here today. Well, in this beginning of the sermon, we're going to hearken back to a time a long time ago. Right? This is a time back when I was in college and before. Right? I mean, this is the old days here. When you could go, these were days when you could go into an airport and walk all the way to the gate without a ticket and still wearing all of your clothes. <laughs> right? Can you imagine? Kids, this is, you probably never imagined there was a day or a time like this, but yes, indeed there was when one could get all the way to the gate. And that made uh, these halcyon days, they were special and unique, right? They were a time before cell phones where you just kind of knew someone was coming to the airport and you went there on faith, right? And if their plans changed, when did you find out? When you got there, right? And you didn't call them, you didn't check your phone to see what was going on. You had to ask somebody. You had to ask an agent at the terminal or someone like that. What's going on? What's happening with the flight? But remember those moments. Those times waiting at that gate, waiting as people came out the skyway, up that ramp, people that you were waiting to see, excited to see. Maybe they were a family member you hadn't seen in a while, a loved one, a friend, or maybe a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, right? And remember that waiting, waiting there at that ramp for the person to come. And maybe you would catch a glimpse of their hair or their clothing and you'd think, oh, is that them? Is that them? And then you'd wait, you'd wait. And then suddenly there was that moment where you saw them and they saw you and your eyes met. And then soon thereafter, they were in your arms and you were together, right? That hope was fulfilled. That anticipation, that joy deferred was finally present. And that person who you had longed to see was with you. Do you remember that feeling? It's a beautiful thing. It still happens now. It's just not quite as cool on the curb. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's not so like dignified in the same way as like waiting there in the terminal. Um, But still happens. We know that feeling. We know that feeling of joy of being united with someone we've longed to see. 
someone we love and care about. Now, in our gospel passage, I think we get a heavy dose of that joy, right? It really permeates this entire passage from the gospel of Luke. Because we are taken through Luke to the meeting of Mary and Elizabeth and their two sons. So let's go ahead and jump right into it with both of you. Now, to give a little context, Mary has just been visited by the angel Gabriel, who has told her that she is with child, and then she picks up and journeys the more than 80 miles as the crow flies. My guess is she didn't fly. I mean, I don't know much about air travel before I was born, but I don't think they had much in the first century. Magic carpets, that's right. But that was more in Arabia, I think. And so she travels this more than 80 miles to go see her cousin Elizabeth, who is also with child. Anyone remember what month of her pregnancy Elizabeth is in? The sixth month. All right, someone was paying attention. Good work. Good work. The sixth month. So that means John the Baptist will be about how much older than Jesus? Six months. You guys are so sharp. Good work. I like it. Now, if you'll remember, Elizabeth's child is a massive miracle as well. Right? You remember it. It had its own annunciation. Or John the Baptist has had his own annunciation by an angel saying that he would, that they would be with child, right? And there was this whole, all these miraculous events about it. And um, his father was unable to speak or to hear uh, in the buildup because he didn't trust what God had said. Really cool stuff. And also, were they, were they young or old? Old, right? And so in itself, its own miracle that God would bring about the birth of a child to a couple who were long past uh, childbearing age. But is that a barrier to God? Any of those things? No, not at all, right? Age, that doesn't matter. That's encouraging, isn't it? Right? I'm sure you're all here thinking, oh, that's wonderful news. We can start all over again. So Mary's greeting as she walks into Elizabeth's house, it reaches the ears of Elizabeth. And according to the text, the first one to respond to Mary's words is the baby, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist. He's the first to respond to these words of Mary, these words of, we don't know exactly what she said, but John responds with joy. And then Elizabeth, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and shouts with a loud cry. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. These are deep words of faith and connection with the promises of God by someone who knows what it is to receive the promises of God and to trust in them even when they seem impossible, even when they seem like there was no way that God could ever do that. Elizabeth was one who trusted. And now she shares that with Mary because she sees in Mary 
that same faith that she was willing to trust, even when it seemed impossible. And so she says, blessed are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She knows what God is doing in Mary, and she praises God for it. She also bears testimony to what the Lord did in her child, and how John responded with faith. This is the second time that we hear about this. One is from the narrator. The second is from uh, the testimony of Elizabeth that she says, the child leapt in my womb. And that's really, I think, one of the most beautiful images we have in the New Testament of this, this baby John the Baptist still three months from birth. And yet he responds to these words of Mary in the presence of his Savior, who is only newly conceived inside Mary's womb as well. These two children connect. It's a beautiful thing. Then she blesses Mary again for believing that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord said to her. This then brings the Holy Spirit out in Mary who proclaims, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant, Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is Mary's song of praise to God. And what do we call this song? The Magnificat. I thought Lola was the Magnificat. But no, she thinks she is. No, this song, because it magnifies, her heart magnifies the Lord. And it's become a part of Western culture. Right? This song has these words of praise to God have become ones that are so familiar to us, so often rehearsed and repeated. Her song of praise to God for the work he does in using the humble and lifting them up while bringing down the powerful. And this will be a cornerstone of Jesus' ministry. So often he'll talk about the first being last and the last being first, right? He talks about this great inversion where everything is kind of flipped on its head. He got it from his mom, right? His mom's words through the Holy Spirit about the promise of what this child would bring, what what his birth would mean for the world. That the powerful would be brought down for the th- from their thrones and the lowly would be lifted up. That the hungry would be filled with good things and the rich would be sent away empty. She praises God, in addition, for being merciful and faithful to his covenant. She praises God for being a God who doesn't forget, but who brings to fulfillment what he promises. What I find beautiful about this interaction between Elizabeth and Mary is that the joy of John the Baptist and Elizabeth seems to bring out the joy of Mary. 
It's kind of the um, inverse of what we see a lot in our world, which is maybe like a social media um, frenzy of like, I don't know, outcry of frustration, where like one person says one thing and then somebody else says the next and it kind of builds it. And then you kind of achieve a crescendo where if you and if you look at the end result and the beginning thing, you wonder how you got there. This is the positive side of that. Right, because Mary comes, John jumps, Elizabeth sings out praise, and then Mary sings out praise. What a great thing, isn't it? I'd prefer that to the other, wouldn't you? Yeah, and we see that in this relationship between Mary and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. Their joy is shared and magnified by one another. Because their joy is one of fulfillment of long-held hopes. They've been waiting. Mary and Elizabeth had been waiting. Their parents had been waiting. Their parents, parents, parents had been waiting. For centuries and centuries, the Israelites had been waiting. Waiting for God to show up. Waiting for God to come and deliver them. Waiting for this baby. This one held in the womb of a young mother. This child still only beginning his life in Mary. Now we know what it's like to see someone who we have longed to see. To react to their presence and to be close to them. To hold them. And to be, conf- and to be blessed with the reality that the one who was far away is now with us. It's an amazing feeling of fulfillment and joy and peace. Now imagine that that person we are seeking is not merely another flesh and blood person like us. But imagine that person we are waiting to see is God himself. How remarkable would that encounter be? This is the final Sunday in Advent. And we are reminded of the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ first coming at Christmas. John the Baptist and Elizabeth responded with joy to meeting Jesus. And this brought out joy in Mary as well. That event has taken place. But we are waiting for another event. An event when Jesus Christ will come back. He will come back and sort things out. He will come back as conquering king. And I wonder, are we in our lives standing at the gate, at the end of the skyway, looking expectantly and prepared to see him face to face, prepared to be united with our Savior? Are we ready? Are we prepared in our lives for his return? Because it is coming. None of us knows the day. None of us knows the hour. But by the grace of God, may he make us ready to see him face to face and to receive our Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for Mary and for Elizabeth and for John the Baptist and for Jesus the Savior and hope of the world.
Lord God, what a unique and profound way you chose to bring about the salvation of this world. Lord, that you chose to use a child, a baby. Lord God, thank you for the way that Mary and Elizabeth and John responded to him. Lord God, we yearn to have that same response as well to you. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive, to be prepared, to be always looking for your return, so that when you come back, Lord God, you would find a place prepared for you. Lord, we're terrible at stuff like this, at being ready all the time. And yet, Lord God, you promise that it is your the work, your own work and the work of your spirit to make us ready. And so we pray. We pray that you would do this good work in us and prepare us for your return. Lord God, help us to be a part of your plan to prepare others for your return as well. Like Mary and Elizabeth and John, may our joy uh, encourage and bless one another. May our preparation encourage and bless and challenge one another. And we pray also, Lord, for those who do not even know of you and who are not in their hearts preparing that we would be people who bear your message, who go and visit and share the hope of Christ with them so that they might be prepared as well when you return. Lord God, thank you for being faithful to your promises. Help us to trust, to believe, and to know that you will be faithful in this promise of your return as well. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.